At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome back, Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a practicing preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute at Baptist Health South Florida, as well as Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. Many studies over the years have revealed that men are more likely than women to delay or avoid seeking medical care. And some of the most common excuses we hear are, I don't have time, or I'm not really sick enough, and even believe it or not, I just don't want to know. As a doctor who's been practicing for almost 30 years, I can assure you what you don't know can hurt you. That's true whether we're talking about heart disease, diabetes, or the subject we're covering today, prostate cancer. The latest statistics show that one in nine men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during his lifetime. About 191,000 new cases will be diagnosed in the U.S. this year alone. With September being Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, I've invited Dr. Marcio Fagundes to the podcast. Dr. Fagundes is Medical Director of Radiation Oncology at Miami Cancer Institute and a renowned expert in the treatment of prostate cancer. Welcome to the podcast, Marcio. Thank you for having me. So a lot to unpack there, and I do want to get into uh, the innovative treatments uh, for prostate cancer, especially those that are being performed at the Miami Cancer Institute. But let's level set a little bit for the listeners. First, and I'm going to ask a kind of silly question, it may seem, but, but more so, what is the prostate? What's it for? <laughs> what does it do? <laughs> so, so the prostate, we call it a gland. It serves several purposes. Uh, one of the main ones is used for sphincter control to help control your urine Voluntarily, when you want to urinate, you do. So the prostate has the sphincter component that holds the urine along with the bladder. It also has a, a function of reproductive uh, purposes where some of the seminal vesicle and uh, secretions that com- uh, make the ejaculation come from the prostate. So actually to conceive and uh, sperm and secretions all uh, have a, a contribution from the prostate gland itself. So there are many things that our body does that we don't consciously think about or appreciate, but arguably the prostate is something that men should certainly appreciate and pay attention to. Um, right. Now, having said that, and again, we're going to get to prostate cancer. There's lots of other things that can go wrong on the prostate. What If a man has prostate cancer, are they more likely to present with symptoms of something and found to have cancer, or is it more likely the cancer will be picked up via other mechanisms, including screening? So that's a great question because men will frequently think that prostate cancer should cause pain or problems that they would notice, and that's not usually the case. So prostate cancers can be detected very early in patients where, when they are in their 50s and 60s by uh, tracking a subtle rise in the PSA. PSA is a blood test that men should start doing as part of their routine screening, and if PSA goes up, above what is anticipated, that would indicate that there's a risk that there could be a prostate cancer. Along with that, patients should have digital rectal exam of the prostate also along with the PSA check to make sure that there aren't any palpable nodules in the prostate. So those screening tests, the digital rectal exam where a physician can feel something that may be cancer or the blood test will be part of our screening procedures. Is there an age when a man should start getting those tests done? And if so, how frequently? 
Yeah, so that is determined by uh, risk, uh, mainly risk in the family, meaning that if you don't have any relatives with prostate cancer, um, you can start later, like in your 50s, doing annual uh, checks. If you have one or two relatives, close relatives, uh, that have prostate cancer in the family, you should really start earlier, like 40, 45. And it's most important to mention this, one in, in 10 or one in 20 patients that have prostate cancer, the PSA will not elevate. And the tumors frequently are only identified, the cancer is only identified via a digital exam, palpation of the rectum, or even sometimes on a, an MRI scan, which is becoming a more and more used uh, imaging study to detect early prostate cancer that can be identified. So, so two questions to that statement, which I appreciate. The first is, um, is the MRI for everyone or should it just be for the patients who have that high risk from a family history where, I know you said it's evolving a little bit, where are we using the MRI um, selectively? So the MRI is evolving in the, in, the, in the following sense. It's being used before a biopsy, increasingly more often before the biopsy is done to identify any suspicious lesions that could be missed on a, on a random biopsy. So a random biopsy is taking 12 samples from the prostate, uh, from the top, the mid, and the bottom, um, and, and an MRI-guided biopsy is doing an MRI before the biopsy, seeing if there's any suspicious change that would indicate a more aggressive pattern cancer, and making sure that one spot is sampled. And so, that spot could be less than a centimeter in size, you no know, less than a half an inch. So it could be quite small. So, so we don't we, start with the MRI. That would be in someone who either no. has a digital exam that's abnormal or an elevated PSA. Then you yeah. say, okay, good. Yeah, uh, I just mentioned uh, that because nowadays when we do a PSA and do a digital, we say we should do a biopsy. It's increasingly more common that we do an MRI before the biopsy. Fair yeah. enough. Um, going back to the digital exam and the PSA, I'm a cardiologist. Come, person comes in, we're going to do a whole workup on lipids and sugar, and they say, oh, can you throw a PSA in there? Um, you did say annually the PSA should be done as a screening in that high-risk population or a man over a certain age. No reason to do it if it's okay uh, less than annually. Is that correct? If yeah, I mean, if, if, it, if it's low risk and if you've done baseline, you can start doing it biannually. But frankly, in the, in the high-risk high risk patient the population that has relatives, you would want to do it annually. And th there's something called the PSA velocity. If the PSA is rising more than a certain amount per year, then that would trigger the suspicion to do a biopsy. There's also the free PSA versus total PSA. So these are all things that are looked into by the specialist that is doing the triage and screening. So uh, arguably a PSA can be done as a routine annual physical exam with primary yeah. care, digital exam. If there's an abnormality, then the person may be referred to a specialist for further uh, assessments, which is, uh, again, great, great, great information. Um, exactly. Uh, appreciate that. So, um, uh, again, we're going to get to um, specifically prostate cancer in a second. So that's the screening, which is the digital rectal exam and the um, blood tests. Are there any symptoms that would make a, a man um, more likely to be showing signs of prostate cancer um, or anything they should get checked out because it may be cancer? You know, uh, prostate enlargement, benign enlargement called BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy, which is benign growth, happens with age very slowly. That is what men tend to feel. It's not the cancer. It's very rare that a man would, uh, any man would feel the cancer. So aging 
it goes along with benign growth, and with aging comes increased risk of cancer. So they all they happen together, but there isn't a symptom that is a trigger or or this is prostate cancer. No. So going Typically back to not. that point, the screening is how we pick it up. And the way men get screened is to actually get screened, which then speaks towards the importance of, especially in this COVID environment, getting your regular checkups, not avoiding seeing the doctor, feeling well with no symptoms does not mean nothing's going on. So it does speak towards regular exams and regular checkups. Um, right. And then, and then just to emphasize, why would you want to do the screening, right? Because if you identify cancers in a stage where the only thing you have is an elevating, early elevating PSA, and not non-palpable tumor, we can't feel anything. We call that stage T1C. We can't feel it, but the PSA is slightly elevated and a biopsy showed a cancer. That stage is usually the earliest stage you can have and it is highly curable. We're talking about more than nine out of 10 patients will be cured. Whether you do radiation or surgery, you will get, you'll be cured. So, as opposed to waiting until the cancer grows and and grows outside of the prostate. Now the cure rates go down, can go down significantly. So you so, want to do screening, early detection, identify cancers when they're most curable. So that's a great segue uh, to talking now, let's talk about the cancer and the assessments of the treatment. So a man gets screened appropriately over a few years. Now you're finding the PSA starting to elevate or the digital exam's abnormal. Follow-up, MRI maybe biopsy shows there's cancer. Now, what would be the options for that individual? Um, what goes into the assessments, arguably including the patient decision as to what do I do? I have prostate cancer. Yeah. So, so, the, so, so there is something called the, the, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, NCCN. This is a national guideline for recommendation of proven therapies. I just mentioned this because it is in these kinds of multidisciplinary, well-vetted, uh, study-tested environments that we can come up with suggestions and conclusions that this treatment works, and this is based on data. So it's not, it's not like we're coming, off, coming out with a recommendation that is without evidence-based uh, uh, substantiated. So the treatments for prostate cancer range from radiation alone or surgery alone for early stage, where you don't need to do anything else, just do all radiation or surgery. In more advanced tumors, like with very high, higher PSA, higher Gleason score, more aggressive cancers, radiation usually goes along with hormone blocking of testosterone, um, or you have the option to do surgery, but, but the t- treatment will change depending on the aggressiveness. I just want to make that a point. Right. To some degree, and I can tell you as a non-oncologist, um, 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 it does seem like the Wild West out there with these different claims of different treatments for prostate surgeries, but you're certainly speaking to evidence-based, guideline-driven treatment options, and arguably, that's the way we approach the patient at the Miami Cancer Institute. Um, right. Can you, speak, can you speak a little bit about now, if a person is referred to you or other doctors in the Miami Cancer Institute, how that treatment plan goes into effect? What, what, what are the conversations that one would have? Is it a solicitation of side effects of the treatments, or what, what are the components that come into place when someone's referred to the Miami Cancer Institute? So, so we, we always uh, you know, help the patient understand where he falls in the risk group. Is it low risk, low aggressiveness, more curable? Okay, if that's the case, 
The first if question. I can, if I can interrupt is, a second, if I can interrupt, you're talking about risk of death from prostate cancer. Yes. Yes. Yeah, okay. Okay. Right. That's yeah. Okay. So, so the first question we ask is: Is the tumor aggressive enough that it needs to be treated? So there is something called active surveillance where we want we actively monitor patients by monitor, by repeating a biopsy once a year, and if the, if the cancer becomes more aggressive, the PSA goes up, then we decide to treat. So first question is to ask: Does the patient need treatment? Let's say that the tumor is aggressive enough that it, that it needs to be treated. Um, then we would say, well, um, there are you know, two options that are well uh, proven long-term follow-up, which is radiation and surgery. And these two options are then presented to the patient. We usually go over the pros and cons, side effects, benefits, logistical aspects of the treatment, and try to help the patient understand what would be the reasoning for him choosing one or another, but they need to be in, educated to help them make the decision themselves with our help. We are, we're not there to make the decision for the patient. We're there to help them make the decision for themselves. So it's a very individualized assessment, a very individualized discussion. Ultimately, the patient makes the decision. And as you said, there are circumstances where the decision may be Let's not do anything right now. It's not that aggressive. Your risk is not that high. Let's let's monitor it. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Exactly. I mean, one yeah. of the things that happens a lot is we have a patient that should be treated. Okay. And um, and then the discussion is, well, what are the probabilities of cure with one treatment being radiation? We present we present data. The obviously they usually have seen the surgeon. They have gone over some of the surgical aspects or prostatectomy, and then. Um, we discuss, well, what are the benefits of radiotherapy? For example, radiotherapy does involve nowadays, um, you know, several visits, which could be a four-week regimen, Monday through Friday. So it's, it's a commitment of four weeks coming in, being uh, laying down for 20 minutes, getting a treatment, which you don't feel. But it is a commitment that takes several weeks. But there's no recovery. The risk of incontinence, losing urine, is much lower than surgery. It's very, virtually no risk of incontinence of urine. So some of these things will make patients decide that that's what they want to do because they don't want to run those risks. Um, so we have to weigh the pros and cons of each modality with the patient. Very, very well said. Help, very helpful. Um, what kind of um, new or exciting advances are we seeing in prostate care, uh, cancer therapies and specifically um, that you are leading and what we're doing at uh, Miami Cancer Institute? So, so that, that's, that's the, a great question because, you know, it's becoming more and more advanced, effective, and practical. So for early, earlier stage cancers, which is really the majority, patients can be treated in many cases in just five sessions, which is very practical. It's every other day. It takes two weeks. We call this stereotactic body radiotherapy. And it's a very uh, advanced form of therapy. We have all the tools, all of the equipment available in radiotherapy we have at Miami Cancer Institute to do this. So there's a five session treatment called SBRT. Now we have proton therapy, which is probably the most advanced form of radiotherapy there is, it uses particles that go into the body and stop. They don't keep going through and through the body like x-rays. So they radiate less normal tissues like bladder and rectum. And proton therapy is frequently used in either more advanced or even early stage. We use it frequently to do treatments over like four weeks. Um, again, it's 20 sessions, very convenient, um, treating the prostate, seminal vesicles, 
In many cases, we treat lymph nodes as well. So we have to say something about protons. It's evolved significantly over the years. It's been around for decades. Um, we, are, we have the most advanced proton technology there is currently. And patients that have higher risk disease where we have to treat lymph nodes, these are the patients that probably benefit the most from protons because we eliminate unnecessary radiation to the intestines and patients go through radiation treatment with protons without any diarrhea, for example. So side effects sure. from treatment are, are minimized with that. Well, I think um, those points are, are, are well taken as well because there's some myths regarding uh, getting prostate cancer. I don't want to get treated because of the side effects, which can be real in certain populations, but certainly in this day and age, less likely than maybe in the past. So uh, to reiterate, it speaks to... Um, Get your screening done, digital rectal exams, PSA. Um, get that early detection, uh, less involved treatment, better outcomes if you're detected early and treated early. Um, and um, again, uh, the individualized treatment at Miami Cancer Institute is what differentiates um, the way we are handling prostate cancer in our community uh, compared to um, others. Um, yeah, great it, information. It also, ahead, please. Yeah, it also, since 2015, there is something called spa rectal spacer. And you may have heard about this. Several patients may have heard about it. This is a, a liquid that is injected between the prostate and the rectum, and it pushes the rectum away from the prostate. It's a one-time injection, a very thin needle. I do it myself. And I was actually the first one to apply this product once the FDA cleared it in April of 2015 in patients treated with, uh, with proton therapy and prostate cancer. And um, have been doing this, uh, you know, for hundreds, almost thousands of patients now, a thousand patients now. And what, what happens is that patients have this concept that radiation can harm the rectum. But if you do the treatment with rectal spacer, you just don't have any inflammation of the rectum. And that was proven in a study before the FDA cleared this product. And that has been my experience, you know, over the years in using it. So we were a pioneer in, in introducing this in South Florida back when we opened, and I had been doing this uh, product application with protons and other modalities of radiation from when I was uh, up in Tennessee prior to relocating to Florida. So it's, it's a great advancement in, in radiotherapy and proton therapy that makes radiation safer on the rectum. So again, an advancement that may not affect the outcome in terms of surviving the cancer, but looking at the quality of life and the consequence of the procedure and something right. that we're, we're pioneering. So that's great. Um, last, last question. Um, what's going on? Let me phrase that. Is there any research that's being done at the Miami Cancer Institute? Are we, are we involved in any kind of state-of-the-art you know, clinical trials regarding prostate cancer? Yes, there, there are several studies that are ongoing, and one that we in particular we, we support has to do with proton therapy. Some of the insurances uh, have asked uh, the uh, centers that practice proton therapy to provide a level one evidence, which is a randomized trial comparing protons to non-protons. And what so so this trial is ongoing. It it, it is quite flexible in the sense that patients can come to us and be treated with protons and they can still participate in the trial. All it is is that their uh, information, how well they did after treatment, is, is, is used anonymously. Obviously, it's an anonymous participation trial and it's voluntary, by the way. Patients only participate if they want to. But the information is used to prove that protons is as good as we know it is. 
And right. this will be used down the road to help maintain coverage for protons so that insurances like Blue Cross Blue Shield will continue to cover it. So, so this is important. We, we always explain to patients by, by just, just doing your treatment as part of this trial, it's, it's the same as we would do off a study, but you're just sharing your information when you enroll in the study uh, anonymously. You'll be helping other patients down the road to get cover for protons. Well, thank you, um, Rocio, for this wonderful information. I hope um, hopefully it'll uh, engage our listeners to uh, for the men to get checked, for women to have uh, their male friends and partners uh, get checked. Uh, we can't uh, not enforce enough, or at least in, in, in encourage enough, the screening um, as um, uh, the real bulwark against prostate cancer deaths. Um, but for those that do have prostate cancer, many innovative um, approaches. Um, um, uh, available through Miami Cancer Institute and through Baptist Health South Florida. Um, any final comments or any thoughts that you want to add before we uh, wrap up the podcast? Yeah, I mean, you know, we, we have so many patients, even physicians that come to be treated and continue working during their treatment. Patients have the impression that going through treatment for prostate cancer can be debilitating. No, with radiation, proton therapy, uh, you know, you continue working, exercising, carrying normal life. You just come in to get a, a treatment early in the day, late in the day, and continue normal activities. It's quite convenient and not disrupting to your life. Thank you very much for those final points. Um, to our listeners, um, as usual, if you have any thoughts or ideas or topics that you'd like us to uh, deal with in future podcasts, please email us at Baptist Health Talk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thank you for listening to this uh, podcast. Um, stay safe and mask up. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.